I want to extend great gratitude to all of you because I cannot tell you how many of you came up to me today and said, you better do good, or we're so happy you're here, or I've been praying for you, or go out and go, you know, break a leg or something like that. Thank you. Your words do not go unnoticed, I promise. And your encouragement to me means a lot. I know I'm a young guy, and I know that I'm good at this thing, but y'all coming to me and telling me that it actually means something means more than you could ever know. Today we're going to be getting back into our Desperate series with another sermon that requires a bit of a disclaimer. It's not going to be fun again. It's not going to be easy again, but it is going to be good. And this sermon is going to be particularly hard for me, because I'm going to have to share a story that I've probably shared three times in my life. I was born with a severe skin condition called eczema, and a lot of people have eczema, and a lot of people have very mild eczema. I envy those people, because I do not have very mild eczema. I have extreme eczema. It's bad now, but it was really bad when I was a little kid. Go ahead and throw up the picture of me. Uh, Look at how cute I was. This was Christmas, and I got a lightsaber, but for some of you in the back, I don't know if you can notice, but if you look around my mouth, there's cuts all over it. It's torn up, it's raw, it's scratched. That's what I looked like when I was six years old. That's what I looked like for pretty much all of my childhood. And it hurt physically. But it hurt emotionally too. When I was in first grade, a kid came up to me. Me and this kid hadn't interacted very much. He didn't know me very well. And so he hadn't seen me very much. And he came up to me on the playground one day, just being a kid, being curious as kids are. And he asked me, what is wrong with your face? He didn't mean harm. He wasn't trying to bully me or hurt my feelings. He was just curious. And so I, I, you know, explained the story that I've always explained. Oh, I just have eczema and it makes my skin dry and I scratch it and it gets torn up like this. And he just said, oh, okay, and walked away. That interaction meant nothing to that kid. It was, just a, it was just a guy asking another guy a question. But to me, the words, what is wrong with your face, were drilled into my head. And at seven years old, I had to come to the reality that no one knows what it's like to be me. That little boy didn't know why his words cut so much. That little boy didn't know the pain that I had been through. That little boy didn't know the hard time I had sleeping. That little boy didn't know all of those things. And even my parents, who knew everything about this. My mom researched everything about eczema that there is on the planet, I promise you. And yet she still didn't know what it was to be me. She didn't know 
how much it hurt. She didn't know how much it wounded my heart. She didn't know what it meant to live with it. And I think the fact is, we all have something like this in our life. We all have something within us where people just can't get it. Because no one knows what it is to be you. No one can really see you. That little boy saw my face, but he didn't see my soul. And I can see all of you, but I can't see your soul. And I can understand you, and I can know you, but I cannot see you for who you truly are. And we're all desperate to be seen. We all want to be known. We all want to be understood. We all want somebody in our lives who can come to us in a moment where we're feeling unseen and say, I understand. I get what you're going through. Today we're going to be looking at a young girl in the Bible who goes through this exact predicament. Who feels unseen and yet in the midst of the desert, feeling unseen. She has an encounter with God. Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. It's the story of Hagar. We're going to be getting into this story, but first I need to give you just a little bit of context. Genesis chapter 16 follows Genesis chapter 15. I know that's a shocker. Genesis chapter 15 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with a man named Abram. And this covenant is a promise where they cut two animals in half and spread spread their sides and they walk between them. And the promise that they're bound to is saying, should I break this promise, let this be done to me. So God makes a promise with this man named Abram because Abram... Listen to God. God said, go to this land that I will show you, and Abram listened to him. And because of that, God credited it to him as righteousness. And so he makes a promise with Abram. He comes to Abram and he says, I am going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars. If you could count the sand on the shore, it wouldn't even compare to the number of descendants that you are going to have. That is a big promise. And there is a big problem. Abram and his wife Sarai are old, too old to have kids, and they don't have any kids yet. And so they decide to take matters into their own hands. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. This seems a little bit appalling to us, which is good. It should, because this is terrible. This is not good, but it was common. In the ancient world, there was a law book that pretty much every culture went by called the Code of Hammurabi. And in the Code of Hammurabi, it was common and it was even maybe a little bit suggested that if a wife could not bear children, she would take her servant and give give her to her husband as a wife. 
then that husband would sleep with the servant, and she would become pregnant, and she would have children, but the children would still belong to the wife. And so, Abram and Sarai are in this, de- this situation where God has given them a promise, but he hasn't quite fulfilled it yet. And so they say, okay, let's do the most logical thing and take things into our own hands. And this is all Sarai's idea, mind you. And so, in, chapter, in, verse, in verse 4, it says, And he, Abram, went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. This, and Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. So, we're in this situation where Hagar is the servant and has no power. And she gets essentially sexually abused and becomes pregnant. But now she has a little bit of power. And she looks at Sarai and she begins to mock her. She begins to make fun of her. Because in the ancient world, the chief purpose of a wife was to have kids. And, Sa- and Hagar comes to Sarai and says, look, I can do what you couldn't. And I may be a slave, and I may be an Egyptian, and I may be your servant, but your husband's kids are going to be mine, not yours. And so this power struggle commences. And Sarai comes to Abram, and she's mad at him for listening to her. She comes to him and she says, may the wrong done on me be on your head. Because you went in and you gave my servant power. And so Abram is in a little bit of a, stuck between a rock and a hard place. And so, in verse 6, he says to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Abram is essentially getting out of dodge here. He says, this was your idea, this is your problem. You come in and you're blaming me, you're saying this is my fault, but this, was whole, your, this whole scheme was your idea. You go, and get, you go and deal with it. This isn't my problem. And so we've seen two of the big heroes of the Bible fail in a massive way. Abram listened to his wife and he did something that was against God's command. But then even afterward, he says, I wash my hands of this. This isn't my problem. When he could step in and advocate for Hagar. But he doesn't. He says, you go and deal with her. And so Sarai goes and and she deals with her. It says, Sarai dealt with her harshly. We don't know exactly what she did. But we know that it was bad. Because Hagar saw it as bad enough to flee into the wilderness. I don't know if you, what comes to your mind when you imagine the wilderness. But it is not a forest. It is not a jungle. It looks a lot more like this. It is a desert. Imagine West Texas in the middle of summer. Nothing grows It is dry, there is water scarce to be found, and Hagar is likely going to die in this desert. 
Yet Sarah treated her so harshly. Sarai was so cruel to her that she said, I'm going to at least try to go home. Because it's better to die in the desert than to stay here and be treated like this. I'm sure there was physical abuse. I can guarantee there was emotional abuse. Sarai was being cruel. And Hagar is stuck in this situation where she feels like no one cares about her. Put yourself in her situation. You're in a land far from your home. You don't have any freedom. You don't have any power. You don't have any control. You were sexually abused. And then you just tried to maybe get even. And now you're, you're doomed to being physically abused and emotionally abused. And so you're done with it, and so you flee into the desert, knowing that you will probably die. I think Hagar probably felt a little unseen, a little uncared for, a little bit like no one cared about her, a little bit like no one loved her, a little bit like she didn't matter. Like no one knew what it was to be in her situation She had a baby on the way. She was abused and probably told that she was worthless. And I bet you she probably believed it. And she's in the desert. And she's sitting by a stream. And something beautiful happens. In verse 7. It says, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Well, there's your good news. She got to meet God. And God comes to her and he says, go back to the situation. That doesn't sound like very good news to me. But the command is not separate from a promise. So we go to verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The name Ishmael means God hears. So in the midst of her crying out, I imagine, for someone to come, someone to encounter her, someone to care about her, the angel comes to her and he says, God hears. But it doesn't just stop there. Go on to the next verse. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. That doesn't sound like good news either. So where is the good news in this story? She's desperate. She's alone. She's in the desert. She's probably going to die. And she meets God, but it's this weird situation Or she's told to go back and then she gets this weird promise. But there's some important aspects of this promise. One, the angel promises her that her descendants will number a multitude. Cannot be counted. 
Does that promise sound familiar? The angel makes to, to Hagar the same promise that God made to Abram. He puts her and Sarai on the same plane. And he says, I know your master might see you as nothing. And I will tell you to go back and I will tell you to submit. But the promise that I give you is that in my eyes, you and her are equal. You are not a servant. You are not a slave. You are just as valuable to me as Sarai is. And my promise is going to show it. And there's other way that this is a good news. The, the whole part about her son being a wild man and everyone's hand will be against him and his hand will be against everyone. That doesn't sound like good news. But think about her position. She can do nothing. And yet the declaration that the angel makes to her is that her son will rule over his kinsmen. That means the kids of Sarai. The angel is saying, your son is going to rule over you, just as she, rule over them, just as she rules over you. And so, Hagar, in the midst of this situation, having an encounter with God, gets to do something really cool. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly I have seen him who looks after me. The name that she actually gives in Hebrew is El Roy. And El Roy means God sees. So, God gives her son a name and declares that I have heard you. And yet she gives God a name and declares, you have seen me. She's the only person in the entire Old Testament who names God. In every other situation where God is named, he either gives it to himself, or it's just a general term, El, which means deity. And yet he comes to this Egyptian servant, this Egyptian slave, and she gives him a name. Elroy, the God who sees me. And, this, and the verse continues. Therefore, the well was called Be'er Laharoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. So that's our story. The story of a young girl who sexually abused then physically abused, then emotionally abused, then cast into the desert and doomed and left to die. And yet God finds her in that situation and he sees her. There's something really powerful in the fact that God saw Hagar. He could have gone to Sarah and, seen, I know, and said, I know, I see you too. I see your plight. I see what you're going through, but he chooses to meet Hagar. He chooses to meet the Egyptian slave in the wilderness. And the good news here is that if God saw the plight of an Egyptian slave, someone who should have no place in his plan, he sees your plight too. And if it feels like you're in a desert, and if it feels like no one sees you, and no one understands you, and no one cares about you, God comes to you, 
And he uses this story as a reminder to say, I see you too. Hagar had no place in God's plan. There was no reason that he should have cared about her. There was no reason that he should have seen her. She didn't matter. She was just a servant. She was just a slave. She was just a girl. And yet to God, she mattered. And yet to God, she was worth seeing. If she was worth seeing, you are too. So that's really good news. But that leaves us with a big question. What do we actually do about that? I want to give you two options. Option one is for the people who are feeling unseen right now. If you're feeling unseen right now, I want to challenge you to lean on Elroy. Again, Elroy is the God who sees you. I think oftentimes when we feel unseen, we run from God. We run to other people. We try to find people who will love us. We try to find people who will pretend to see us. We try to find people who will say they understand us. And we do anything but go to God. Because somehow in our minds, this issue feels like one that God can't handle. And yet he's the only one who can. No person that you could go to really understands who you are. No person that you could go to really sees you. But you have a God who knit you together in your mother's womb. You have a God who knows everything about you, who knows you more intimately than any human ever could. You have a God who sees you. And when you're feeling unseen, lean on him. And for those of us who are maybe not feeling unseen right now, but have felt unseen in the past, I want to give you this challenge. Boast in Elroy. What better news to share with someone who's feeling unseen than I know the one who sees you? What better news to boast in? Than the reality that we know El Roy. We we know the God who sees you. This takes us to our theme verse for the summer. Second, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of the time when I felt unseen, of the time when I felt worthless, of the time when I felt like no one cared about me, no one loved me. Therefore I will boast about it. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Does any words describe Hagar's situation better than these? She was too weak to anything. She was insulted by her master. She was cast into hardship. She was persecuted more than any of us have ever been persecuted in our whole lives. She, she was in the midst of calamity. And yet God comes to her in the midst of all of those things and sees her. What better to boast in than the God who comes to us in the midst of all these things and says, I see you. 
So this week, I want to challenge those of us who are not feeling unseen to go and find those who are and to tell them about the God who sees me. To tell them about the God who sees them. Because the fact is, you and I serve Elroy. The God who saw an Egyptian slave girl. The God who saw a seven-year-old little boy with eczema. And the God who sees you. Will you please pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and the power that it has. We thank you for the story of Hagar, the story of a girl who shouldn't have mattered, but mattered to you. God, I ask that if anyone in here is feeling like they don't matter, if anyone in here is feeling like they are unseen, if anyone in here is feeling like they're worthless, you would come and have an encounter with them. And they would turn to you, and they would lean on you, and they would lean into the one who actually knows us, the one who actually sees us, the only one who matters. We thank you that you see us, even though we could never deserve it. We thank you for your son who came and proved it on the cross. Be with us this week. Help us to honor you in all that we say and do. Reveal the unseen to us so that we might boast in you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. If you've never met the God who sees you, if you've never met Elroy, we're going to have ministers at the front who would love nothing more than to boast in the power of God. Boast in the one who sees you. Boast in the one who loves you. Join with me as we stand and as we sing.